0: Creatin is the most associated with uh, these sort of massive tubs for bodybuilders so sort of to jow it down and, and, and get massive. But I've also had sort of recently some endurance athletes ask about its potential for these longer events. So it is sort of uh, gaining traction or some interest um, across the board.
1: Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin.
2: And I'm Steph Gaskell.
1: We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask sort of things that people are talking about out on their run or ride or in the coffee shop afterwards or potentially going onto the internet to try and find answers to their question. So we'll take that question, break it down, invite a guest expert or researcher in our A episode and an athlete or coach in our B episode to give their unique perspective as well. Today, it's episode 43A. Does creatine have a role in endurance sport? And our special guest is Dr. Brian Saunders from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. We'll discuss with Brian what is creatine, what it does in the body, the different types of creatine supplements and the sources of creatine that we get in our day-to-day diet as well. How much research has actually been done on creatine supplementation for running, cycling, and triathlon performance and what that research has found. And also in what circumstances might creatine supplementation be beneficial or potentially detrimental for endurance athletes as well. So another week, Steph, You're sounding a little bit different. We'll hear that in just a sec. Where are you and what are you up to?
2: Al, I'm in the one and only place that anyone would want to be in Australia.
1: Beach Road in Melbourne?
2: (laughs) You guessed it, I'm in Adelaide.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What's going on over there, visiting the fam?
2: Yeah, last-minute trip for um, the Dietitians Australia conference down here in Adelaide. Um, I haven't been for a little while now. Um, um, maybe my last one was in Adelaide. Um, so that would have been a while ago. So, yeah, down here and then being able to sneak in um, some trips for the family because, unfortunately, um, you know, as our grandparents get older, you, one of the, my nanas, you know, I don't know the next time when I will be down if she'll remember who I am so trying to mm. get in while I can um yep. so yeah it's been really lovely she's still the normal shit stirrer um you know <laughs> uh, so that's awesome to see um yep. and yeah it's been really nice seeing uh, uh at the conference DA conference seeing my past lecturers they're still going and uh, <laughs> um, presenting and um seeing some sports dietitians um represent there at at da has been lovely too uh so yeah been having nice time and it turns out that the weather isn't as bad as melbourne i've saw like our house actually got hail and we actually got a bit of damage in the house from it so Mm, yeah. yeah 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 but it's actually been okay getting in some runs around the river torrens and uh yeah it's been it's been nice what about you though what's been happening
1: uh, well, no hail damage here, thankfully. You guys are <laughs> north of the river. I'm south. We didn't get the hail down this side of town. So that was yes. that was a bit of a let-off, which has been good. Kids are finally back at school. I think I mentioned the other week kids have been sick and off school and then obviously with holidays before that. So, yeah, it's good to have them back um, and good to, yeah, get back into the swing of things a little bit more. Teaching continues on. And uh, I was in the lab yesterday getting some things ready for a certain trial. that's happening about this time next week, Steph.
2: <laughs> I keep getting reminded, Gay Rutherford um, reminded me <laughs> about it uh, at the conference actually. So, yeah, don't yep. worry, everyone's reminding me. So it's getting me to roll out of bed and, um, yeah, <laughs> get, get my running shoes on.
1: <laughs> yep, been getting out for some runs on your old trails.
2: Old trails, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, nice,
2: nice. You, though, I did notice and actually sent to you the other day after my run because sometimes I need little breathers so I, like, check social media so I can get a breath. And I saw uh, a Twitter post about the sodium for endurance athletes. So how's that all going?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the final blog post, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, has gone up on mysportscience.com. So uh, if people are interested in sodium and what effect it does or does not have for endurance athletes, you can go and have a look there at mysportscience.com. There's a series of 10 blog articles actually. So our guest from a few weeks ago, Aski Yerkendrup, actually asked me to do some blogs for for My Sports Science, which is his website. Uh, So he's written some of them and I've written some of them, looking at different aspects about what is sodium, what does it do in the body, what are the various factors that alter how much we lose, during exercise, whether that matters, the replacement, and then the final one went up, which looked a little bit more around cramping, not in a lot of detail, but just a little bit, Um, and then looking at, well, what are all the reasons you could potentially want sodium in your diet, and, you know, what does the actual scientific evidence say for each of those potential reasons? So we're actually going to do a deeper dive into that in a podcast coming up in a few weeks' time. But, um, yeah, if you're interested in the blog and there's some nice little infographics in there as well, you can go to mysportscience.com and have a look at those.
2: Yeah, I was going to say like for the people that don't like reading too much, um, the infographics are awesome and tell the story really well. So, um, yeah, yeah, awesome infographics there to, to explain all of that, which is cool. Yeah. What's been happening social
1: media? Yeah, yeah, it's been a relatively quiet time in terms of social media but uh, not so quiet in terms of Real media, we'll get to that in a minute, Steph. Um, on Instagram, not a lot, but we just had um, Jess Rothwell mentioned that uh, she was looking forward to. Gave a bit you of know, a thumbs up around this creatine episode today, uh, and also on Facebook, we had Kate Galash, who is a dietitian over in Adelaide, isn't she? Yep. Yeah, yep. She's saying that she was looking forward to this one, and she also mentioned that the price and availability of creatine certainly here in Australia is rather tricky at present. So, I um, okay, you know I haven't really paid much attention to that, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe it is.
2: Yeah, yeah, I haven't either, like since I, you know, used to take it for, for some of my running. Um, but I haven't hmm. looked at it for a while.
1: Um yep. yeah. And Steph, you've been out and about, the shackles are off, you're out in the real world again, <laughs> post thesis. <laughs> yes. And uh the feedback's been coming left, right, and center. What's been happening? Yeah,
2: it's crazy. Um just actually just yesterday, I just saw like a whole heap of stuff come through. So um, yeah, we, we've been getting some good feedback out. Um, so Jay's from Infinite Nutrition, who I've worked with for, for a long time um, and I reckon you've done a bit of um, work with as well. Um, he's, yeah, just said, you know, he's been pumping out and promoting our podcast uh, to, you know, all the people that he works with or interacts with. So a massive thank you to um, Jay and Rach. They both run Infinite Nutrition. And a great company there too, like they have always been interested in experimenting with products, you know. So if I used to say, oh, hey, what about this? You know, Jace would make the product and we'd try it and sometimes be like, oh, that was gross, that was a bad idea (laughs) or, hey, this one works. So, yeah, you know, and he used to attend some of our SDA um, conferences back in the day too, so shout out to him. Then we had Mark who's a triathlon coach in Brisbane. He's been loving the podcast and I think sharing it with some of his athletes too. Another triathlete from Darwin, another Mark actually, he's loving the podcast and actually found the carbohydrate episode with Jose. Um, so it's
1: carbohydrate the, loading.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, episode 9A. That's it. Yep. So he yep. found that really Helpful. He used it just before a, a marathon that he did recently, and and said he felt awesome. So that's good news. And then we had a running coach in Melbourne who said that they had this long drive on the weekend and they pumped through six episodes. So yeah, said that he finds our podcast really cool. So I haven't mentioned, and I'll just say this: we we're not too sure if we can mention the surnames. So if you send me an email or get in contact with me let me know if I can actually say your full name and I will but just in case I'm not meant to I've taken them out and then we had the lovely and one and only Gay Rutherford who's here at the Dietitians Australia conference and it was quite funny when I bumped into her she's like Quick, I've got to think of something so I can so I can get the name on the on the podcast. So, Gay, okay, you can get the name on the podcast even if you um you know can't think of a particular topic. So, yeah. But thank you for your support because we you are very supportive and um, crack some pretty good jokes and make our and I laugh. So, thanks for that.
1: Awesome. All right, and just a reminder: if you have a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast, just like today's episode, actually, we'll get to that in just a sec. Uh, you can contact us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Let us know what you're liking about the podcast, what you're not liking, or as I said, if you've got a particular question that hasn't been answered before, then feel free to suggest it and we'll, we can have a look into that. And we've got quite a few coming up that have come from exactly that sort of listener feedback and questions that have come through. But also a reminder that there's a big back catalogue of episodes there. We're up to episode 40 or the 43rd topic today. So, if you flick back through those past episodes, then you may find an answer already to the question that you're asking.
2: Today's episode, Al. I am really excited about this one, as I know you are. So, what have we got coming?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, episode forty-three. A today does creatine have a role in endurance sport? And this was actually a request or a question that came through from one of our listeners, Michael. So he contacted us on Instagram and asked us whether we could look at this question. And uh, both of us said, well, it's a really good question and one that we've often thought about as well. So it's really good to go in and have a bit of a deeper dive into it. So our guest today is Dr. Brian Saunders, who is from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. Now, Brian Saunders doesn't sound like your sort of stereotypical Brazilian name, Steph. And we'll find out a little bit about um, Brian's nationality and how he came to be at the University of Sao Paulo shortly. Uh, But he is a researcher in sports supplements and performance uh, at the University of Sao Paulo. He's been involved in studying a variety of supplements, so not just creatine, but he's looked at things like caffeine, sodium bicarbonate, beta alanine as well as creatine. And he actually presented, this is what sort of drew my attention, is he presented earlier this year at the International Conference on Creatine in Health and Disease Throughout the Lifetime. So, there is actually a conference dedicated just to creatine. And it's not just creatine in sports performance, it's creatine for older people, it's creatine for you know, health conditions, it's creatine for people who might lack creatine in their diet. It sort of covers every possible aspect of the way that creatine, in you know, its various forms, can affect human health and also performance. The other thing that sort of caught my attention with Brian, apart from the fact that he's a researcher in creatine and he's presented at this big worldwide creatine conference, is that his Twitter handle is Bicycle Brian. So it seems like someone who has a Twitter handle of Bicycle Brian is probably going to be somewhat interested in endurance sports. And uh, would, if anyone is going to know what the research evidence is around creatine for endurance athletes, it's probably going to be him. So we'll find out a little bit about that Twitter handle and, and what that means very soon.
2: Awesome! Yeah, really excited about this one. So, yeah, let's get into it.
1: Yep, let's do it. Brian Saunders, welcome to the Long Munch. How are things going over there in Brazil?
0: Uh, Yeah, going great. Thank you very much. Uh, Evening now. Uh, I've got a four-month-old at home right now, so our whole life has has changed. as As we kind of just mentioned before. My my work my work day starts now, so yep. evening is best for me now.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, fair enough. And are you getting any sleep?
0: Uh, I can't complain. Um, my wife can, I think. So uh, you know, my my job's the easier one, I think. So um yeah, yeah. enough enough sleep, yeah.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Awesome. So as we said, you're currently based in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. Um, but you know, clearly from your accent that wasn't where you, where you grew up. Um, can you tell us where home was originally and, and how you came to find yourself working in South America?
0: Yeah, uh, it's always a, a slightly complex one to explain. I mean, the, the Brazilians can easily you know, detect that I'm not Brazilian, um, but then it's, it's, it's a complex one. So um, originally born in Belgium, um, but I was born to British and Dutch parents um, yep. and I'm British by nationality, uh, no Belgian nationality, although I do have Belgian family. Um, I wish I had gotten uh, Belgian nationality now that Brexit's uh, coming through, um, yeah. but that ship's ship sailed. Um, but then, so after eighteen years doing my studies there, I moved to the UK for university. I did my undergrad at Nottingham Trent, um, sports science and maths. Masters um, in sports science at Loughborough University, and then PhD back at Nottingham Trent on nutritional supplements and exercise performance and then so my route to sao paulo um, was via a conference in 2011 on uh, muscle carnosine so during that time i met uh, bruno Gualano and gui archioli who brazilians who were working at the university of sao paulo working on very similar topics keen to internationalize their group and um, we applied for funding uh, scientific in- investment in brazil at that time was actually riding high unfortunately no no longer um but so we got that funding i headed out there for a postdoc i thought i would be there for a, about two years maybe three years but 10 years later i'm uh, i'm still here so yeah that's kind of my route to uh, sao paulo
1: yeah it's a pretty common story i think i thought <laughs> i was going there for two years and then 20 years later <laughs> <Yep>. yeah <laughs> um, and how's your portuguese now is that does the language barrier prove to be a problem, I guess, particularly you know, as a scientist when you're discussing your sort of highly technical things?
0: Yeah, I think I think my Portuguese is pretty all right. Um, I speak Portuguese with my wife, so um, I had to get pretty good, else I'd never win an argument. Um, <laughs> but sort of when I first came out here, I came with nothing in terms of Portuguese. So it did take take me sort of a while to get going, but once I sort of really started to take, um, learning that language seriously, it went quite quickly. You know, growing up in Belgium, I grew up with um, English and Dutch at home, French at school. My parents were translators, so I had sort of languages all around me. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that helps. The French certainly helps learning Portuguese as well. The grammar is quite similar. Um, and I enjoy it, you know, which I think is important. And so once I did learn it, it certainly helped me to settle better. Um, I teach in Portuguese as well, um, which which I enjoy, and that's opened a lot of doors so so yeah mm. I, I've really enjoyed learning learning Portuguese.
1: Yeah, yeah. awesome. all right. Um, and your ha- your Twitter handle, sorry, is bicycle Brian, and I can see you've got a bike on your t-shirt there as well. So <laughs> I'm assuming that obviously cycling is a big part of your life and being born in Belgium that's probably not a surprise.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, my friends always laugh at me that I only have pretty much cycling tops knocking about. Um, so, yeah, I've, you know, I, I, I love it. Uh, recreational cycle cyclist at, at best. Um, please don't look at my Strava from the past six months because it, it, it'll suggest that even that's not true, unfortunately. <laughs> um, mainly road cycling. You know, I've got sort of half a dozen road bikes. Still knocking back in uh, in Belgium, a few over here, um, and you know I use it for transport, to relax, to train for for everything. I think um, I love it. Love watching cycling, all, all parts of it. I think sort of it's it's one of the best ways to see a city as well when you go traveling. So for me, um, cycling cycling is my uh, my number one sport. Yeah.
1: Yep. Awesome. And what's the um. <laughs> I'm just trying to think what the time zone difference would be like in terms of watching the tour. Like for us, it's crazy late at night. For you guys, it would be in the morning.
0: Uh, yeah, we're only um, so to to France. We're only five hours behind, so the time time difference wasn't wasn't too bad. I didn't see as much as I would have liked to, but um, but yeah, it's it's never too bad. So uh, mm. usually, sort of have some breakfast and you can uh, slap it on and watch nice. the uh, the early the early uh, stages.
1: Yeah, nice one. All right, and so let's talk a bit more about our topic. So your research focus, as you said, has been particularly around sort of sports nutrition supplements, including their effect on endurance performance amongst other things. And you've looked at things like caffeine, beta-alanine, which sort of relates to the carnosine you were talking about before. You've looked at sodium bicarbonate, you looked at creatine at various stages, but what got you interested in sort of looking at all these sort of supplements specifically? Uh,
0: Again, I think sort of, um, like you said before, Kind of just sometimes you, you you fall into it some things happen for me you know just a, a little bit of random chance you know uh, after my masters at loughborough i was kind of out of options um i you know applying for jobs left right and center i got um rejected for a um for a um work experience position and they cited that i didn't have enough work experience so if you don't have enough work experience to get work experience then you're really out of luck um, so I I got in touch with my sort of dissertation supervisor from my um, undergrad, and I kind of said, you know, I'm I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So she had a project just starting up. Um, so that was Caroline Sunderland with uh, Craig Sale on beta-alanine supplementation, and so I, I kind of jumped at that chance immediately, and and that was my first dive into supplements and, and exercise performance. We brought sodium bicarb into the mix, and you know then. I got interested in the mechanisms of, you know, how supplements work, which ones actually work, uh, what modifies these effects, and you know, it kind of just spiraled from there. And uh, yeah, I think if you if you look at my research output, it's probably about eighty to ninety percent on on supplements. I, I I love this I love this field. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it's cool.
2: Um, and so our topic specifically, um, today is is on creatine. Um. So most listeners have probably heard of creatine or at least the, um, the supplements. What exactly is it um, and what role does it play in the body?
0: Okay, so creatine is what uh, is called a guanadino compound. Comprised That's
2: why I shorten it, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's comprised of um, the amino acids arginine, glycine, and uh methionine. And this synthesis occurs predominantly in our liver and kidneys, um, creating our, our free creatine, which is then transported um, in the blood and taken up by several tissues. Um, skeletal muscle is the predominant tissue that contains this or that takes up this creatin. So uh, skeletal muscle uh, accounts for about 90 to 95% of total body creatine stores as either free creatine or a phosphorylated form, phosphoryl creatin. Um, so the fact that it has relatively large amounts in muscle obviously then suggests that it has an important role potentially in exercise. And so the main role for of creatine, what it does in the cell is uh, to provide a High energy buffer to combat against ATP depletion. Okay, so during high intensity activity or cell stress, and this reaction, it happens. Um, it's catalyzed by a certain enzyme called creatine kinase. So, you know, when we perform exercise, for example. Uh, We use our stores of adenosine triphosphate to release our body's stores of energy However, you know, we have quite low stores of adenosine triphosphate in our muscles So we need to kind of replenish these ATP stores And phosphoryl creatine is one of those So it can react with ADP, which is the resultant uh, compound from ATP And replenish or restore these ATP um, levels so it's kind of a, an immediate source of exercise um, of energy during exercise. But unfortunately, it, it also, um, because it's so quick and our stores of phosphoryl are quite limited as well in the, in the grander scale of things, it also depletes um, fairly quickly. Now, there's also a few other potential roles of, of creatine and this creatine kinase system, including sort of shuttling energy from... Um, uh, throughout the muscle from different areas to where it's needed Um, but sort of as an energy buffer that is sort of considered its primary role um, within the muscle
2: yep Um, and so um, as well as making um, creatine in the body can we get creatine um, from food if we're not taking supplements
0: yes certainly Um, so yeah our body synthesizes per day approximately one gram um likewise we probably end up um losing about one gram of creatine so generally most people would be in uh, a a sort of approximate balance Um, but then depending on your diet yes um, you can either sort of top that up um, or not as it happens because um the predominant source of uh, creatine in foods would be from um, a meat-containing diet, a omnivorous diet. So uh, beef, pork, chicken, all pretty good sources of creatine, um, as well as fish, like uh, I think herring has quite um, high levels, salmon um, and tuna. And so that's why we generally see when we measure muscle uh, content of uh, creatine, uh, vegetarians usually have lower content than uh, their omnivorous counterparts.
2: Mm, Yep. So vegetarians can't really get it in their diet, can they?
0: No, I think, yeah, there's very trace amounts that you see in fruits and vegetables, but probably not even worth sort of considering Mm. when when you're sort of actually thinking about quantities that you're getting into the the body. So uh, really, it really is sort of meat and fish sources. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, And so creatine supplements have been um, popular since stories, I guess, emerged from Barcelona Olympics in 1992 um, of the UK track and field team using it. What's the um, actual rationale for using the supplements?
0: Yeah, I I, I can actually uh, sort of remember this back in the day as well, sort of Linford Christie uh, Colin Jackson and you had sort of Sally Gunnell all coming out and saying that they had used sort of this supplement. It was sort of big, big news at the time. Obviously people kind of immediately associated with a form of doping, even though it's, mm. it's not And that kind of, you know, put it, put it on the map. Um, so I guess the rationale for using it for these athletes to using it is that it seems to improve performance. You know, I think, uh, on, a, on, on the most basic simple level, that's it. Um, and kind of specifically what we see in the scientific literature is that it's really quite good for high intensity exercise performance. And in particular, those kind of short duration, high intensity exercise uh, bouts like a sprint. Um, and there's probably even even better evidence for kind of repeated sprints with sort of short recovery periods uh, mm-hmm. between them. Now, you know, in 92, That was almost the start of the creatine revolution in terms of sport and exercise uh, science. So there wasn't much published at the time. I mean, I doubt these guys probably read many scientific journals at that point anyway, but that that was the year where the seminal Roger Harris paper came out showing that creatine supplementation can increase muscle creatine content. So now now we can kind of go and investigate what this does to exercise performance. But actually, it kind of seems like these guys were already ahead of the game. You know what, Which seems to happen a lot. You know, athletes are using stuff, and then we come afterwards and we test it and say, "Oh, actually, yeah, this stuff works." They're doing the right thing, um, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. You know, they were using it for, you know, 100 meters, um, 110 meter hurdles, 400 meter hurdles. I think it was. So, you know, exactly the kind of exercises that we see benefit from creatine supplementation. Uh, you know, these athletes were actually using them. So, yeah, really, really interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, And so what's changed since the 90s? Has the research evolved in terms of the type of um, supplements that athletes are using? Um, What about kind of have they changed the dosing or the timing? Um, And what about the types of athletes in sports? Is it only um, sprinters that are using it or are now... You know, do we have the cyclists, the endurance cyclists, using creatine?
0: Yeah, well, in terms of scientific literature, I'd say sort of creatine is one of, if not the best, researched supplement out there. Um, so, I think, like like work for for actually a lot of supplements, I think some really sturdy base work was done in those initial years. Um, And for creatine, obviously that was the 90s. Um, So Professor Roger Harris, who I was lucky enough to have as one of my uh, PhD supervisors, he was the first to show that creatine um, stores could be increased with um, supplementation. And that, as I kind of said before, that then sort of sparked that, okay, well now we can go and see what does supplementation do for exercise performance and, and, and what kinds of activities um, and so they showed that really solid base within the 90s, several studies showing that improved single bout, multiple bout, and also um, potentially individuals interested in strength training. That's, you know, started to come in and, and show really impressive improvements in strength performance, gains in fat-free mass when you combine training with creatine supplementation. So I think these these are all things that were known already in the 90s, but you know since then there's been some excellent work kind of building on these solid foundations um, you know if you think about dosing the optimal dosing strategy well that kind of de- depends on your ge- goals as well i think um, mm-hmm. we know that we could saturate stores in pretty much all individuals if we were to get go in at a high dose of 20 grams of creatine per day for five days so most people would um, saturate at that but if you're in a rush to saturate your stores, well, you could have just sort of just drop to a kind of three to five grams per day dose, and you'll probably saturate your muscle creatine within within the month, and so you'll 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 get those benefits um, benefits anyway. Um, like any supplement, you know the market booms, and and all these alternative forms. So sort of the the within the scientific literature, creatine, creatine monohydrate is probably the most researched, but all these kind of different forms have come come out. But studies have shown time and time again that certainly creatine monohydrate is sort of the king when it comes to, to which supplement you, sh- you should take. Types of athletes, again, those involved in strength training, involved in high intensity sprinting, repeated sprints, repeated high intensity bouts. Those are the kind of guys that um, you want using it. Mm. Whether or not cyclists or not, I think we'll 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 potentially come a, come onto that in a in a bit. Endurance mm. cyclists, I think it's it's a bit more nuanced, a bit more complex to think about. Um, but then, you know, likewise, which again, which type of athlete, men, women, younger, older, vegetarians or, or mm. vegans or omnivorous, it mm. seems like everyone has the potential to benefit. So there's been a really sort of uh, Great build of evidence over the last um, thirty years, um, and, and, and I guess that's why uh, the International Olympic Committee came out a few years ago with a, a consensus statement on sort of which supplements might have some beneficial performance effects, and uh, they highlight creatine as one of only five, um, mm. and that's because of this uh, pretty pretty substantial um, literature.
2: Yeah, and the um the timing of it as well is um is that important in terms of
0: you know absorption or um well i mean uh, physiologically there's a few um sort of potentially interesting things that you might see sort of co-supplementation with carbohydrates might lead to a a, an increased uptake Mm -hmm. exercise might lead to an increased uptake of of creatine into muscle as well Mm -hmm. um but I, i i suppose it it kind of depends on what doses you're taking them at. If if you're taking that high dose, 20 grams for five days, and you're already mm. saturating your levels in five days, how, how much importance will sort of minor differences due to timing around exercise or timing around your meals make, I think, minimal. I think yeah. in terms of creatine, the most important thing is that you're taking it chronically. So that you're yeah. taking it sort of on a consistent basis. And that's the most important thing timing wise throughout the day it's in my opinion unlikely to have much influence
1: one of the other things that people used to talk about a lot particularly in kind of gym circles was this concept of creatine cycling you know taking creatine for a period of time weeks or months but then deliberately taking a break and not using creatine for whether it's a few weeks or a month Mm -hmm. or something and then starting it again what was kind of the rationale behind that? And is that sort of supported from a scientific point of view or is it kind of one of those fads that's sort of come and gone?
0: Well, I mean, from my point of view, I think most people most people take a break from sort of, you know, really strenuous exercise from competition that they have that time off. So so why not during that period? If you're not going to be needing it to a certain extent, then, then, then why not? Um, you know people I guess uh, the rationale behind this um, cycling as far as I'm uh, aware is that obviously you might it might lead to certain adaptations and and, and chronically having high levels means that you won't get the benefits um, chronically over time so maybe we reduce those levels back to sort of pre-supplementation levels to then increase them again to to, to have performance gains um, but whether or not that's the case I I don't think it really is but again I don't think there's really much harm and and potentially again it's potentially a waste of money if on the off season Mm. you're still sort of taking five to 20 grams of creatine per day when it's not necessary so I I certainly Mm. think cycling according to your own probably training schedule is is worthwhile yeah
1: yeah yeah okay Well, let's move on and look at specifically creatine around endurance performance, given that the listeners of the podcast are talking about running, cycling, triathlon. And this is a group, obviously, that haven't traditionally focused on creatine. We obviously had this come up as a a listener question. And I do get from time to time, endurance athletes that are using creatine for for various reasons. Um, And I guess part of that is around that messaging that, you know, creatine is for getting big in the gym or for sort of those maximal sprint efforts, that sort of thing. But is there been much research looking at creatine for more those sort of continuous type of efforts or potentially sort of sprints that are interspersed within sort of a long endurance effort? So I guess things like road cycling, where it might be like a criterion where you have multiple sprints or, um, or even a road stage, a sprint at the end of a stage or something like that, or other, you know, maybe mountain biking where you've got little short little climbs or obstacles and things like that. Has there been much research into what, I guess, theoretically there might be a
0: rationale there mm-hmm. yeah well sort of I, I think initially you're right you know certainly creatine is the most associated with uh, these sort of massive tubs for bodybuilders to so sort of to chow it down and, and and get massive but you know like you you guys i've also had sort of recently some endurance athletes um, sort of ask about its potential for um, these longer events so um, certainly, it is sort of uh, gaining traction or some interest, um, across the board, but then to sort of base a, a, an answer on solid scientific evidence is difficult. So, um, you know, I, obviously, I, I thought I knew the literature fairly well, um, after, after you guys sort of uh, invited me on and, and um, for this podcast. Obviously, I had another uh, look in the literature and there were a few more studies sort of that I that I found that um, sort of do exist. So I already knew of sort of a couple of studies, maybe from the 90s, uh, didn't really know of anything sort of particularly in the noughties. Then um, a few years ago, uh, an interesting study came out. And actually, just today, I just thought I'll have another quick, quick look. And I found a study that came out just uh, just a couple of months ago, which was a, sort of an interesting one, um, relevant to to creatine and endurance performance. But you know, it could be that apparently my you know my my literature searches are horrendous, and there's a huge literature out there. But as far as I'm aware, you know, maybe a handful of studies. That's it. And sort of, no matter the results, I think you know a handful of studies. It's always difficult to, to sort of jump to huge or, or really solid conclusions based upon sort of a handful of studies. But a handful of studies there are, and and it's something we could potentially sort of uh, delve into in a little bit more, uh, more detail.
1: Yeah. And what are those studies kind of suggesting? Are they all consistent in terms of finding either a benefit or no benefit, or is it a real sort of mixed bag at the moment?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah that's that's the difficulty it's it's a it's a mixed bag at the minute really um so if we kind of start at the start and the, i think the initial study um from the 90s uh from balsam and colleagues so they looked at creatine supplementation on running performance during sort of a six kilometer terrain run um sort of so this was um forest track with undulating uh, terrains. And placebo group, creatine group, looked to see if there were any um, changes in performance. So as you'd expect, or or at least hope, there were no changes in the placebo group, but there was a significant increase in run time in the creatine group. And so if you think, since it's desirable to finish a run quicker, an increased time obviously translates into a worsened performance. So creatine Mm. actually worsened performance in this study. And so maybe... Maybe that's almost why kind of there's a, a bit of a scarcity of data afterwards because most people just thought oh well well that's that thanks for that we don't we don't need it it's not it's not that interesting um, an important point to consider within that study I think uh, we'll, we'll probably come back to it but that creatine supplementation did lead to a sort of a, a one kilogram increase in body mass and this might have uh, influenced performance obviously considering it was kind of undulating terrain so um you know runs uh, up and up and downhill so um potentially that's why they showed this um worsening in performance other studies and, and and as far as i'm aware sort of the the handful of other studies that exist are all kind of um cycling simulation studies so as as you kind of mentioned you know these kind of stage races or multi-stage uh, races, while people often think, oh, it's endurance, so it's just people running at low intensity for six hours. It's like, well, no, that's not, you know, if you if, if, if you watch the Tour de France, you see that sort of, you know, people attack off as, as, as soon as sort of the, the flag goes off and, 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 and people jump to the front and sprint away and try to make a breakaway. And there are people who go after that. There's intermediate sprints for points, for climbs, climb. So, you know, the, there's fluctuating um, intensities. And so a lot of these studies have tried to kind of um, simulate the fluctuating intensities of endurance um, cycles, you know, generally two to three hours of cycling, and then measuring. So maybe sometimes sort of uh, s- uh, sprints throughout or spr- repeated sprints at the end of these um, endurance events, and, and the rationale is that actually creatine might not be um, particularly important during low intensity endurance because it's you know the main energy source is from oxidative sources, and uh, creatine phosphocreatine isn't that important during that. But during these explosive actions, which actually can um, be the difference between winning or losing. Uh, or, or not, not losing, winning, and sort of second place, third place, or, or or getting a breakaway or not, is down to these high-intensity explosive actions. So, you know, if if creatine can work here, well, then um, it has potential for endurance exercise. I think. Um, but you know, there's 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 one st- uh, study from from the 90s that showed that every single ev- every single sprint at the end of a two and a half hour Intermittent cycle, so short five sec, um, six second sprints were improved with creatine supplementation. So this suggests that you know that sprint performance at the end of a race might be improved with creatine. But then you know other other protocols which have similar sort of sprints throughout or a sprint to exhaustion haven't shown the same kind of improvement. So. In terms of these kind of um, studies, it really does seem to be kind of like a 50-50, 50% 50 showing that maybe these explosive actions throughout endurance activity might benefit, others not so much. So sort of how to kind of sum that up, it's difficult. Um, I think sometimes you have to then dive a little bit into have the studies been well controlled. One of the studies actually that didn't show a, a beneficial effect on sprint performance at the end of a simulated kind of race Actually, both the placebo and the creatine groups improved performance by about 35% Which kind of suggests well, maybe these guys weren't very particularly well familiarized to the exercise protocol And so yeah. and so if, if you kind of take that one out, then maybe Creatin's kind of 2-1 up so From a personal point of view, I'd, I'd say there's potential you know thinking about you know the the physiological rationale there's potential there but we need to do more well controlled studies to really sort of confirm there's a lot of creatine literature out there showing that it works for resistance exercise the endurance stuff it's kind of been left behind and and hopefully you know myself included hopefully you know we can we can do a few studies and and give your listeners a more sort of solid Answer of yes or no. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that 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 totally makes sense, and I suspect in some of these cases too. Um, and I haven't obviously looked at all of these papers, but I wonder too whether the you know, I guess there's high intensity and there's high intensity in terms of you know, some people might think of that as sort of just above threshold, whereas for other people that is maximum all-out effort of five or ten seconds, and yeah. possibly there's important differences there it's only going to work with those absolute very short duration maximal efforts versus those maybe 30 second 1 minute 2 minute max efforts something like that
0: exactly exactly i agree i for sure i i would expect it to be the the shorter duration um sprints as opposed to the longer duration still sprints but you know all of a sudden the the importance of the 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 sort of phosphocreatine system to those sprints is maybe less
1: yeah yeah and probably the other one that's uh a bit i mean probably trickier to study too to be honest is some of those you know repeated short hard efforts that are kind of a little bit random for a lack of a better word i'm thinking things like mountain biking when you suddenly get to a log you've got to get over or a rock garden that's just you know sort of maximum effort for a few seconds just to clear that obstacle or even things like obstacle course racing where you've got to suddenly scale a wall or something like that halfway through a you know potentially a 10 or 15 hour run depending on the event i mean it sounds like those sort of events again there might be a theoretical rationale there but we just don't have the evidence to say one way or the other
0: yeah exactly Exactly, and and actually, sort of, uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. <clears throat> you know, sometimes the sort of as, as you kind of mentioned that kind of random nature, um, or or potentially maybe it wasn't so random. But if you think about sort of this year's tour, um, sort of the the stage that potentially won it, where sort of um, Jonas Vingegaard actually sort of um, overtook Pogacar and 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 and. and uh, took the stage win and, and sort of took his took his one minute uh, lead out and built a two minute on there he seemed to sort of do repeat attacks repeat attacks repeat attacks and so during that kind of sort of repeat attack you know you it, it could be you, you could be the one who's trying to make them or you have to go after sort of the guy who's trying to make them all of a sudden that's when you need sort of um your ATP uh, phosphocreatine system to be able to sort of maintain these, these sprints. I'm not saying it's the only factor, but you know, who knows creatine might help in exactly that kind of situation. Um, so, so yeah, I'd like to see sort of studies trying to look at it in, in, in that kind of, um, exercise protocol or that kind of variation. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, and I guess one of the other things coming back to, you know, when you were talking with Steph earlier about, you know, potentially creatine or does get used obviously in the gym for more resistance training. And there'll be some athletes, you know, runners, cyclists, triathletes who get into the gym for various reasons. In some cases it might be more around sort of injury prevention and maybe there's not such a role there, but for some people it is specifically to build strength. So how what's the so I guess the biological reasoning between you know, creatine supplementation and actually improved strength or muscle mass? Is it simply that you can do more work in the gym and then you get a benefit from that? Or is there something else going on?
0: Yeah. um, So there are studies showing um, or at least suggesting that creatine itself is not sort of anabolic. It doesn't promote uh, muscle protein synthesis itself. So it, it doesn't seem to have that direct effect. Um, and there's a there's a really interesting study, I, I can't remember the name of the authors, but in which um, they provide creatine to one group, placebo to the other, throughout strength training, but they equalize the loads of the two groups. And so if you don't allow sort of progression, if you standardize the amount of training uh, you're doing, then creatine is not superior to a placebo because you're not yeah. allowing that individual to do more. So that's exactly it. That's exactly where uh, creatine supplementation sort of uh, works, for, for want of a better word. You know, It allows you to perform those few extra repetitions or increase that intensity and perform the same number of repetitions to then progress sort of a potentially a faster pace over time, gain more muscle mass and therefore uh, re- uh, reap the benefits. So, you know, personally, I I I don't work that much with endurance athletes, um, and so in in the gym, I'm not sure what kind of um, work that they are putting in. But if it's kind of maximal work where there is that benefit of sort of progression over time, well, then yeah, I would expect potentially creatine to have some beneficial effects. Now if they're you know simply it's just a bit of maintenance just to just to you know keep things in check um then maybe they'll be maybe it's less less useful but if if you're allowing yourself to progress um then then certainly I think Cretan could could have its place yeah
1: okay and just thinking i guess a bit more broadly you know we tend to think of endurance athletes as sort of young, fit, healthy people doing running, cycling, triathlon. But obviously, you know, across those sports, you do get a wide range of people in terms of ages and levels of fitness and health and that kind of thing. Is there any suggestion around the use of creatine specifically maybe for older athletes? Is there any differences there maybe compared to younger athletes that we know of? Uh,
0: Well, I would certainly say that... um, all the same kind of benefits that we've discussed, you you know, you know, you would expect um, the older athlete to to reap those same benefits and likewise all the same kind of considerations maybe when you're talking about endurance sports and how it might not might not be the the, the ideal, but in certain scenarios I think um, the same is true for, for the older athletes. Now I guess the one the one key is that sort of. You know, I think most people will have heard of you know sarcopenia, age related sort of loss in muscle mass that unfortunately occurs with aging. So it's it becomes increasingly important to maintain, and potentially you know increase uh, muscle mass. It becomes more vital, um, I would suggest as as we age. So yeah, for for an aging individual perhaps creatine becomes even more interesting than sort of f- for that younger individual. Um, again, you know, literature suggests that creatine alone is unlikely to result in substantial sort of gains in strength, um, uh, muscle functional performance, but in combination with that, you know, resistance exercise, I think it could be, uh, p- particularly useful for, for older athletes. Yeah. Mm,
1: okay. So it allows you to do, Potentially more work, but you've got to do the extra work to get the benefit that it might bring.
0: Yes, yes, yeah, it's, it, yeah. yeah.
1: okay. Um, and then one that we forgot to ask earlier as well: we talked about sort of, I guess, race-type efforts in terms of creatine supplementation, but thinking more about training now. So you might have athletes that are doing sort of fartlek-type training or short sprints or you know really short intervals and things like that. Um, thinking about the the literature that we have, maybe from other sports. Is there a suggestion that it might be, there might be a training benefit as opposed to purely a competition benefit?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I would say, I would say without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, um, again, the literature in terms of kind of endurance and um, creatine are maybe scarce, but you know, you can extrapolate from resistance type exercise to show that you know, you get greater gains with. with creatine co-supplementation alongside your resistance training, and so if you know individual studies have shown that you can you know improve your um, single sprint performance, your repeated sprint performance, you know you could potentially perform additional sprints, and so you're doing more more intense work and potentially you know greater gains over time. Um, so I, I I certainly think that. Along, um, alongside training or throughout training, supplementation would be, would be beneficial. I think often, like the scientific literature, sometimes we, we, we look too much at the potential final product. You know, we say, oh, here we, we, we looked at um, creatine on uh, a, a, you know, that six kilometer terrain run and it didn't work. So, but you didn't look at sort of what these guys do in their training. And during their training, they might be, as you kind of mentioned, you know, more explosive work, more exercise that is uh, more malleable to improvements with creatine supplementation. And so you get the benefits in training, which then translate into that performance um, event at the end. So certainly throughout training, I think, is is probably where where most supplements, um, you, you, you'll probably see their, their worth.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I guess probably the the big unknown in all of this, which I guess sort of creates that gray area is, you know, we know it's probably beneficial for those very short, very high endurance things, probably not beneficial for that sort of moderate to low intensity prolonged stuff. But I guess it's where that crossover occurs. That's the, the million dollar question, I suppose. Yeah. And then that relates back to the type of efforts that you're doing in training and whether it's likely to be beneficial or not. You know, is it 20 second maximum efforts is at 30 seconds is it one minute that sounds like that's kind of the the unknown question
0: exactly i mean i i would say that um there's a pot- potential at least upper threshold of maybe 30 seconds <laughs> um because uh, some some work from from one of my colleagues uh, um, in brazil when when he was still sort of um up north um, he showed no effects of creatine on a thirty-second cycling Wingate. So, for who, those of yeah. you who don't know, that's simply sort of an all-out thirty-second sprint. Um, so, if there's no effect on that, but once you go lower, there are there do seem to be effects on sort of six-second sprints, ten-second sprints. Um, but then, likewise, you know, some, sometimes you get once that one one or two studies that show an effect on a on a slightly longer duration sprint or so. Mm. It is difficult to exactly um, sort of specify, but I would say maybe those sprints less than 30 seconds are most likely to have a benefit.
2: Cool. Um, And just looking at the potential side effects, I guess, of taking um, creatine, which you mentioned one of them before. So um, some of our listeners are aware that when you take creatine, um, it's been associated with some weight gain, which could vary between to one kilo. So firstly, I guess, why um, do we get that um, weight gain? Like what, where's it coming from? Is it fat? Is it muscle? Is it fluid?
0: Um, So yeah, that's exactly right. Um, A lot of people are aware that sort of in response to creatine supplementation, seems to be um this increase that's about one to one and a half kilograms maybe in men about half a kilo to a kilo in women and that generally occurs over sort of sort of a period of four to four to ten days something like approximately that um Mm -hmm. studies have shown that in the short term this is predominantly water so uh creatine is an osmotically active compound and so when it's taken up into the muscle it's taken up by a sodium dependent transporter and so water will also be taken up into the muscle to help maintain that intracellular um, osmolarity Osmo- no osmolarity um so uh yes there is this sort of increase in um in in weight that people see however it does appear to be Um, water weight rather than sort of increases in in fat mass or anything like that, or muscle, unfortunately.
2: Yep, yep. Um, And so given that performance in both running and uphill cycling are going to be somewhat weight dependent, so it seems like that weight gain is a possible concern or reason not to to use it, like you said, in that um, six-kilometre study there. They, they had um, a detriment in performance and that's possibly because of that weight gain.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and that's what sort of the authors speculate. And, and, and I, think mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it's reasonable for it to be a cause for concern, you know, in, in particularly weight-bearing sports, such as endurance sports can be, um, especially those that include sort of hilly terrain for running, cycling, mm-hmm um you know how how much effort goes into these bikes these sort of Mm -hmm. you know thousand dollar pounds bikes you know just to shave sort of hundreds of a a gram off that and then you know your your athlete goes and and takes creatine and (laughs) and increases their weight by one to one one and a half kilos and um you know that's all gone um Mm -hmm. I, i mean certainly it's, it's, it's a cause for, for, for thought, at least the consideration. Um, interestingly, one of the studies, um, that, that has looked at endurance performance. So at the end of a three, I believe it was a three hour cycle, yeah. they had, uh, their, their cyclists then get on an actual bike on a treadmill that they put at an incline of 8% and kind of cycle to exhaustion. Um, and so in that, in that situation, you're kind of mimicking a, a climb. You've actually got sort of that gravity working against you. And in this study, they did show sort of increases of one to two and a half kilograms. But that's also because they, they carbohydrate loaded. So I guess you'll have a sort of double whammy of um, in, in, increased fluid retention. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't negatively influence Sort of final climb performance. So mm. creatine didn't improve performance, but likewise, that increased um, weight didn't reduce performance. So you know, who knows? Is it you know? Could it have improved performance somewhere else, and I've still managed to maintain here? Yeah, maybe. I think it's it it's 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 worth thinking about. Um, mm. And maybe just one one final point on that as well is that maybe. Um, Longer term studies have suggested that um, sort of there isn't actually a chronic sort of increase in total body water. So actually this increased uh, retention might occur at the start of supplementation. But over time, it sort of um, seems to, I guess, sort of ride itself out. Um, And so maybe in those initial periods, yes, we see a slight increase but um sort of if if supplementation is to continue um, you might not actually uh, maintain those uh th- that increased weight gain.
2: Mm, yeah, and I'm just wondering like with the long distance um stuff where you've got the init- you've got that weight gain but then you're competing over such a long period of time and then you've got those um accelerations in there so They've kind of like balanced each other out. There might have been that negative effect, but then you've got the positive, and then it's mm-hmm. just about well, how long do you go when that benefit outweighs the detriment of the, the weight gain?
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and unfortunately, to sort of actually test that will be is difficult. Um, yeah. But yeah. you know, so, sometimes, uh, in, in my opinion, sometimes it's like well, sometimes it's worth a try. Give it a try. Yeah. See if you like it, see if you you know, if if, if you measure your performance in, in a some kind of structured way over time. If it seems to work for you and you enjoy it, keep going. If not, then then stop. Yeah, yep, yep.
2: Um and there's been some reports in the past of um gut symptoms in the hours after taking a dose of um creatine. What's the kind of mechanism behind why people are experiencing that? And is there any kind of method to help avoid those symptoms?
0: Yeah, so there's, um, I think, a few a few, uh, few survey studies that show that uh, a lot of people do, ex- well, I'd say a lot, people do experience GI discomfort, um, things like stomach upset, uh, belching, um, diarrhea is fairly frequently in some of these studies um but what some of these studies also sort of report is that a lot of these individuals who are taking creatine are maybe taking it at doses that aren't recommended in the literature so they're taking them at sort of very very high doses compared to what is maybe recommended um how it occurs well you know like anything so creatine is, is absorbed um in in the gut like anything, there's a limit to sort of how, how, how much absorption can occur at any one time, if you exceed that, or if you ingest more than um, that absorption level, well, then it's going to accumulate in the gut. And then as sort of mentioned, that'll draw in fluids Mm. that can sort of cause diarrhea, discomfort, Mm. cramps, um, and and such. So um, certainly something to consider. But Within the literature, um, what it's been shown is that, sort of, rather than taking, uh, you know, a 10 gram or 20 gram in one go, we can stagger that over the day. And generally, the highest recommended kind of single serving would be about five grams. So, there's studies showing that five grams is more uh, preferable to 10 grams in terms of sort of frequency of diarrhea and things like that. So, five grams every you know maybe few hours um across the day if you're going to go for that 20 grams per day um dosing strategy and you should avoid all these kinds of uh, potential issues
2: yeah and um and then i guess there's been some that have mentioned muscle cramps as well is what's the reason behind the
0: muscle cramps um i think again sort of uh similar um sort of uh related to kind of um water uptake into muscle and potential electrolyte imbalance um potential dehydration also in in certain compartments due to sort of um, increased retention of uh, water in muscle but i would say the literature on that one's a little uh sort of uh maybe not um maybe not sort of perfect not 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 too certain but um, there's certainly not enough evidence to say that it causes cramping muscle cramping and actually um, sort of on my research sort of there's one study that actually showed a 60% reduction in cramping with creatine supplementation in individuals undergoing hemodialysis and muscle cramps is pretty common in individuals undergoing hemodialysis so you know, this was a study that's actually like really positive for creatine in terms of muscle cramping. Um, so, again, I think a lot of the evidence around sort of individuals experience muscle cramping is kind of anecdotal or survey based. Mm. And it maybe doesn't take into account all the other kind of products that these individuals might be taking. Um, you know, a lot of people don't only take one, one product at the same time. So, you know, are they taking the right dose? Are they taking it, um, you know, alongside other, other products, potentially harmful products? Again, in, in the kind of recommended doses, you know, five to 20 grams per day, I don't think you would expect to have issues with muscle cramping.
2: Yeah, yeah. And no other kind of potential side effects that listeners need to be made aware of when taking creatine?
0: I would say not really, but, but then I think you've always maybe just got to bring up the noise that always surrounds creatine and sort of kidney damage and issues with kidney mm. function that yeah. always seems to hark out mainly in kind of media outlets and, um, sort of the, these, 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 these news outlets that seem to always have a, Bad opinion of, of, of creatine uh, you know I've got a, a fair few colleagues who have um, done a lot of good um, work in this area um, you know it, it kind of stems from the fact that creatine is degraded to creatinine in the body and then that has to be you know transported into blood and excreted by the urine but then creatinine is also a proxy marker of kidney function and so mm when we see this or initially when uh, this was uh, seen to be increased people think oh kidneys overloaded kidney damage renal dysfunction and so it's bad for the kidneys however it's more just likely a a consequence of increased you know creatine Mm. stores and conversion to creatinine rather than an issue with uh with the kidneys and you know there's studies in adolescents, in in adults, in older adults, um, you know, short term, long term, there is this sort of often a noise around it. The actual scientific literature suggests that again, at the doses that are recommended, there doesn't seem to be any particularly uh, negative effects, no.
1: All right, well, let's move on to our bonus round, Brian, where we find out a little bit more about you beyond sort of creatine and, and your research in that space. So our first question, obviously, we know you're, you're into your cycling, but what's the, where's the favourite place you've ridden your bike?
0: Denver, Colorado. Mm. Um, so I, I was out there for uh, the American College of Sports Medicine conference back in 2017, I think it was. Um, and I just absolutely loved it, you know, good roads, um, good cycle lanes, uh, beautiful scenery. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're already altitude training cause you're already sort of a mile mm. above. Um, and then there's still, you know, even, even better climbs to go to. I absolutely loved it there. And ACSM is going back there next year. So I definitely uh, plan on going back there.
1: Yeah, Awesome. All right. Um, what's a sport that you've always wanted to try, but you haven't had the chance?
0: Uh, that one, I've always wanted to have a go, never done it. Um, golf. I'd love to. I don't think I'd go straight for the 18 holes because I, I don't know if I can even hit the bloody thing. <laughs> but, you know, just go to a driving range and see if I can hit it. I was uh, say, it's that's what to I'd start. like to do. Yeah, yeah.
1: awesome. Um, best thing about living in Brazil?
0: So for that, I've always kind of got two, two answers for that, because work-wise, I think, is, is always an important one for me as well, because I do love my work. And it's, it's the freedom to kind of do my research. So my teaching schedule is pretty close to zero. I, nice. I absolutely love my current position here. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's not a permanent position. Um, but, you know, the fact that I can just focus so intensely on my research, I love that. So work-wise here. And then kind of play-wise is just the sheer kind of diversity of the country. You know, I, I live in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is not the sort of postcard place that people imagine. It's not Rio de Janeiro. It's not the Amazon. You know, it's a huge concrete jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife hates it, but I actually quite like it. You know, you have so many different nooks and places to go to. But then your one-hour drive from the beach you go the further north you go the the more turquoise the waters of these beaches become you know you kind of go inland and north you've got the amazon you've got uh you know waterfalls lakes mm. mountain regions you go down south you've got more european style cities brazil's so diverse enormous it's got so many different places to visit and so i think just simply the the diversity it's fantastic mm. i love it yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome, and and just sort of related to that, I guess you know there's I guess the stereotypical tourist attractions that people would go to if they were visiting Brazil. But if people are going to visit there, what's something that they might not have considered that you think's worth going to have a look at or checking out?
0: Oof, difficult question. Um, I I would say come out here and and kind of rent a car or a van and just sort of go go driving there's so many great places in between you know you can drive from sao paulo to rio de janeiro you know rio de janeiro it's fantastic it is you know christ the redeemer and sugarloaf mountain you know it's, but obviously it is a bit touristy but it's still worthwhile mm-hmm. but if you get the car and you go there you'll you'll visit another 20 fantastic places along the way mm-hmm. so sometimes you know rather than just go straight for the tourist's Uh, occasion just see what you bump into because there's there's just so much
1: yeah awesome uh your favorite sporting moment in 2022 so
0: far uh probably yesterday the the england's england women winning the uh euro 2020 uh 22 that was pretty uh pretty good i really enjoyed that yeah enjoyed the whole uh tournament the last few weeks so that was a that was a nice way yeah yeah definitely
1: awesome and final question: Do you live by any particular piece of advice or motto? Uh,
0: yeah, I had to think about this one a little bit, and um, not really. <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid I don't. I'm not one of these people who has a good answer for this. You know, um, I, I, I don't think I do. I, 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 I was racking my brain, and, and so I'm afraid sort of that that ends on a bit of a damp squib. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. <That's all> good. <laughs> That's all good. we've, 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 had, had, we've had
2: other people that don't have um don't really follow anything either so don't worry you're not the only one
1: <laughs> awesome all right well thank you so much brian for your time and, and your expertise it's been great to hear a little bit more about mm-hmm. the story of creatine in endurance sports because i think it's an area that people do talk about but don't really know the answer to because as you said there's very little evidence out there yeah. so where would you even know where to look for it so thanks for your time and uh yeah Hopefully the England men's team can uh, get another one for Yeesh. you later in the year.
0: Yeesh, that's a big one. That's a big <laughs> one. I, I hope so too, but, you know, I think I'll, I'll be happy with one. So Yeah, uh. fair enough. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers.
2: That was awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, and now I'm going to just uh, handball it to the one and only summariser, Al. Um, yeah, what do you think about using creatine in endurance athletes?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. So does creatine have a role in endurance sport? Well, I guess to start off with, you know, what is creatine? Well, it's produced in our body, mainly in our liver and our kidneys, and provides a way of producing energy rapidly for sort of sprint, maximal, you know, some sort of sprint efforts of a, a few seconds using phosphocreatine. And obviously creatine is a part of that. And we do get some creatine just naturally occurring in the foods that we eat, particularly meat, fish, and chicken. But obviously not everyone eats meat, fish, and chicken. Also, the amount that we would have to eat to get the sort of amount of creatine to maximise our stores would be you know, would be massive carnivores kind of thing to get there. So that's when we look at creatine supplementation. And there's a few different types, but the one that's been consistently researched and shown to increase someone's phosphocreatine stores is creatine monohydrate an oldie bit of goodie, and that will increase the phosphocreatine stores in your muscles, and we'll talk about the doses in a minute. But if we look at endurance sports and how much research is around in terms of creatine supplementation for running, cycling, and triathlon, there's not really much research out there, Um, and particularly, I guess, when you start to look beyond sort of sprint efforts. So most of the stuff probably relates to more sprint efforts, so it would be, say, up to 200 metres running on the track or sort of track cycling, maybe sprint efforts there uh, of generally less than 30 seconds. So I guess for, for these types of efforts, there is some evidence and, and theoretical potential for sort of maximal sprint efforts of up to 30 seconds, and particularly if you're going to do those repeatedly in, by the nature of your event. Um, and so if that's you in terms of the types of efforts that you might be doing in training or a race situation, then yeah, maybe there is a, a potential um, benefit to be had from creatine. Uh, It could be also those sort of other efforts that come around rather than on the track in cycling or running, but things like those obstacle course races where you do have to suddenly scale a wall or get over some kind of obstacle where you've got to kind of put in maximum effort for a very short period of time. Again, there might be a theoretical benefit there, but it hasn't really been studied. So in terms of endurance events, there's really less than five studies and the results from those are fairly mixed. So it's hard to say with any confidence whether creatine is going to be beneficial or not in these scenarios. I guess if you are someone who runs cycles or does triathlon and you also go into the gym and lift weights, then creatine might be potentially beneficial to allow you to lift more. But I guess the main thing here, and coming back to what Brian was talking about, is you know you don't get the gains in muscle size or strength from creatine supplementation just by taking creatine supplements. You actually have to do the extra work that the creatine allows you to do. There is a potential downside from creatine supplementation, and that is some water retention within the muscle. Now, that in itself doesn't necessarily sound like a problem, but I guess if you're in a sport that is particularly weight sensitive, you're talking about a weight gain of maybe one to one and a half kilos in men and half a kilo to to one kilo in women, then that might be a disadvantage in certain situations, um, particularly sort of for uphill running or cycling. Although, as Brian pointed out, uh, if you're supplementing for a longer period of time, it may be that that weight gain is temporary and sort of settles down after a while and you don't carry around that extra weight permanently if you continue to take creatine supplements. Uh, and as Brian said, you know, if you're really not sure whether creatine supplementation is going to be useful for you or not, feel free to give it a try. You know, It's not a massively expensive supplement, generally speaking, although as we mentioned in the intro, it probably is a little bit at the moment. Um, There are minimal side effects and certainly no long-term health consequences that we're aware of, and this supplement has been around for, what's it, 30 years or so now. Uh, The loading dose, if you do want to take it, is about three to five grams of creatine, which is about a teaspoon if it's just the pure powder, about four times a day. So you're getting a dose of close to 20 grams across the day, but not all in one hit, Um, and doing that every day for a week, kind of maximize those phosphocreatine stores quite quickly. Or if you just take one serve of three to five grams a day, it's going to take probably closer to a month to maximize those stores. And then once they are maximized, just taking that three to five grams a day, once, you know, just each day to maintain those stores over the long term for as long as you, you want to, to use the supplement. Uh, I guess if you are getting a little bit of gastrointestinal issues, generally you shouldn't if you're taking doses of less than 5 grams in one hit. Uh, But if you do, having it together with food or fluids might reduce that risk of GI issues. Although, as I said, they're not particularly common at that kind of a dose anyway. So coming back to our question, does creatine have a role in endurance sport? Well, probably not unless you're doing a lot of short, maximal-type sprint efforts either in training or the nature of your events that you're competing in or you're trying to lift more to be able to get bigger or stronger in the gym. And so in those situations, it might be worth thinking about, but otherwise probably not.
2: Awesome. As always, summarise that really, really well. Yeah, I guess, yeah, for an example, when I was using it back in the day, I was using it mainly for the, um, in my interval training sessions and then at the gym, but probably I was like um, just going to the gym and thinking i gained some muscle hour not doing too much no not really so yeah so it, it may have a role for some people but next episode we've got it's we're up to 44a and i'm just as excited about this one and actually listening to this episode and doing a little bit of reading prior I've really got an interest in it, and hitting the age that I am now, it's just I'm noticing it's more and more relevant. So did you want to tell our listeners what we've got coming up?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I guess we have skipped people maybe going, what happened to 43B? So we decided to skip over that. We're not going to chat to an athlete about creatine supplementation, partly because we don't actually know any endurance <laughs> athletes that do use creatine. Uh, occasionally I've come across someone who that I've worked with that just takes creatine not because I've suggested it because they already were before they came to see me but there's no one we've specifically gone out with a strategy of introducing creatine supplements with so um, that's why we're, we're not talking about that with an athlete so we're going straight to our next topic 44A and the question is how are nutritional needs of masters athletes different to younger athletes and again this was a question that came through from a listener and we obviously looked at what are the nutritional needs of younger athletes a little while ago. Now we're sort of looking at the opposite end of the spectrum and saying, well, you know, what's happening with older athletes and, you know, are the recommendations that we have, the guidelines and things like that, that have generally come from research in sort of younger adults, maybe people in their 20s and 30s. Is that applicable when we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s uh, and, and doing sport in those sort of age categories? And, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing running, cycling, triathlon, and at that age. So definitely very relevant. So our guest is recently retired, actually, Professor Peter Rayburn, who's recently retired from Bond University. So he's a exercise scientist who's done a lot of work around sort of training and nutritional needs for older athletes. So we're going to have a chat to him about this question.
0: Yeah,
2: and I think, like, just for the listeners as well, um, when we talk about master athletes, I mean, they'll learn this in the episode. Like, it's not when you're 60 it's you know quite early on and we may not realize it so uh yeah i think it's it's actually relevant to probably a big part of our audience now so yeah recommend listening Mm -hmm. to it and peter's you know fascinating and explains things really easily as well so get on to listening to this one But otherwise, uh, yeah, just a reminder, if our listeners have any questions, um, please post them on social media at The Long Munch, so Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. If you've got a friend that you think might be interested or a training partner um, in one of our episodes, we'd love you to share the episode. And if you like the episode, we'd love you to hit subscribe or help provide us with feedback. Otherwise, we will love and leave you and see you next week.
1: Will do. See you later, everyone.